With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Hall of Fame coaches, national champions, lottery picks, the best minds in basketball. Welcome into the sidelines with Evan Daniels. What's up, college basketball fans? Welcome back into the Sidelines Podcast. I'm your host, Evan Daniels, college basketball insider over at FS1, as well as the director of basketball recruiting at 24-7 Sports. Today's episode, I'm going to bring on a pair of guests. We're going to start with former Kansas power forward Billy Preston. Actually, never got to play a game at Kansas, and he recently signed a professional contract to play in Bosnia. We discuss what went into that, what his expectations of that are, and how he's changed as a player since getting to Kansas's campus. Then I'm going to bring on a colleague over at 24-7 Sports, Josh Gershon, to discuss who Billy Preston was as a high school player and what we think of his NBA potential. We also broke down our top three prospects for the 2018 NBA draft. We talked about Jaron Jackson, Muhammad Bamba, and also Zion Williamson. Before we get to those interviews, I want to make sure that you are supporting the Sidelines with Evan Daniels podcast. You can do that over on Apple Podcasts and or your favorite podcast app. The best way to support this podcast is to hit the subscribe button, but also leave a rating and a review. You can also shoot me a note over on Twitter. My Twitter handle is at Evan Daniels. Without further ado, let's jump to that interview with former Kansas power forward, Billy Preston. It's time to go minimum with Evan Daniels. Send it in, big fella. Now let's welcome in former five-star recruit and now professional basketball player Billy Preston to the sidelines with Evan Daniels podcast. Billy, uh, thanks for taking the time out and uh, jumping on the podcast. How are you doing? Appreciate it. Appreciate you for having me. Yeah, of course, of course. And, and congratulations on uh, on signing your professional deal headed to Bosnia to uh, to play professional basketball. How uh, how excited are you to, to start this next chapter of your career? Uh, I'm very excited. Uh, my family decided to make a move that was best for us. I mean, I wanted to do it. I mean, I w- and for anybody who would want to do it the authentic way, go to college, play basketball, enter the draft that way. But uh, God had different plans for me, so it's, I'm just taking it one step at a time. Now, you signed with Kansas last year, and you played in three exhibition games before uh, getting into to a car accident that I guess the NCAA started investigating. Did you ever dream the day of that accident that this is how this would all turn out? Uh, I never would have. Dreamed it, thought it. If you ask me this question before, I think right, I'd say right now, I would have thought I'd be playing, you know, you to play Oklahoma tomorrow. Like I said, uh, something different had happened and handling it from here. So once you realized you were going to have to sit out for a bit, what did the NCAA want from you? What were they asking from you? They weren't asking me for anything. I don't know what they were asking. It was just, it was just a long, just a long period of time that I was waiting. Over the the course of the next few months, what what was the the communication with you like? Were you told anything? Were you kept in the loop with with where things were at in the process? Yeah, it kind of went both ways. Uh, my coaches, uh, my coaches, coach self and coach Townsend would uh, tell me, you know, every now and then, every other day that that you know they're working on it and 
they've hired lawyers for me and uh, you know this whole the whole nine is saying you know that it should be cleared up within the next couple weeks and we get closer and closer but you know the whole time it was really you know never getting closer and closer and I don't blame I don't blame them for it I don't blame coach self for uh the coaches for any of any of it I just because um, you know it wasn't on them they you know they were just telling me what they were told uh so you know I don't blame them for it and I'm, I don't have any problem or I'm not angry with coach self or anything that has to do with Kansas basketball uh, but I was kind of I was informed definitely uh but I wasn't that's kind of like the gist of it all I was just right. told that you know, like yeah, it was going, it was going to be over soon. Uh, hopefully, you know, next week, and then you know, next week will come, and then it'll be the next couple of days. You know, just the ongoing waiting process for me. But that's what that's all I was really told. Was going to be. At, at what point did it kind of hit you, and you were just like, man, I got to do something else. Like this is this is doesn't look like it's going to happen. Um, I think it came down to the point day where me and my family really started talking about it. We started talking about everything really over over Christmas break. We was talking about it over Christmas break and uh but nothing was really official till probably the day or the day after that, you know, the headline came out about, you know, me signing to the professional team. But uh it was always and it was always in thought from from about Christmas time, but you know, no decision was actually made until the day or the day of you know the announcement. How, how how frustrating, Billy, was this whole process? Not not just the fact that you didn't get to play, but but also you never really got a determination. You didn't get a yes or a no uh, from the NCAA. Uh, it was definitely frustrating. Uh, keep my head high through it all, and uh, you know. The team still had games, so, you know, our games that I would go to, I was still trying to cheer my teammates on, be a good teammate, be a, be a good communicator. But uh, I was frustrated the whole time on the inside, really, uh, just, you know, being a basketball player, wanting to play, wanting to play, you know, on the highest stage of basketball there is. So, I mean, but, I mean, but uh, it didn't happen, so... Uh, I was kind of frustrated throughout the whole process, but uh, I kept a cool head and I, you know, kept it solid the whole time. You you mentioned that that this idea kind of came about over the holidays. Did they approach you, or, or how did how did I'm, I'm sure you you probably got more than one team showing interest. How, how did that all um, start, and and did they just reach out to you? Yeah, uh, they did. Uh, as far as you know, I know uh, anything else really. Like uh, as far as like how everything came into the picture, uh, we have to talk to my wife. Got it. Well, what type of um, what type of expectations do you have for your career in Bosnia? Uh, I expect myself to go over there and you know uh, do uh, good enough for me to be able to. Uh, into the draft, you know, coming up and hopefully, you know, making the dream come true from there. What do you know about the the team you're going to play for? Honestly, uh, I didn't know anything about them before I started, before I uh, started, you know, getting, 
getting in contact with him about me going over there to play basketball. When when are you going? Do you know yet? Uh, the 25th for the 26th. Like when will you be your first game, or are you just gonna gonna get over there and start practicing with them? And uh, yeah, I don't know when the first game is gonna be for sure. Either. Uh, the 29th. Uh, so the 29th. You, you mentioned that you know you want to make your dream come true, and I assume that's playing in the NBA. What's kind of the plan mm-hmm. after this season? Uh, obviously, apply for the draft, but what, what's kind of your plan? Are you gonna spend some time over there and then come back and work out with the trainer, or, or what's kind of your plan? Yeah, that's that's probably the gist of it all. Uh, that's probably what I do spend time over there. Uh, you know, while I'm supposed to be there, then you know, on the phone for the draft, come back, work out. Uh, probably be a path. Got it. Now you've been practicing with that Kansas group. In, in what ways do you think your game has progressed uh, since your high school days? I think just being at KU um, has helped my game mentally and physically. Uh, just being coached by Coach Self thus far, you know, having me not take any possessions off, teaching me, you know, that it's more to the game than just offense and there's different ways to look at the game. You know, I mean, college-wise, that'll just help you, you know, throughout your whole career. So I feel like, you know, even though I wasn't able to play, I was still able to practice and work out. So I feel like I'm, I still feel like I'm in good shape. I still feel like my body's right. I also got, you know, got a lot of help from the game, seeing it mentally, just IQ wise. So I think, you know, physically and mentally, my game has grown while being here at KU. I said, I know you're familiar with Terrence Ferguson, and he's a guy that did something pretty similar. Did do you all talk, and did you reach out to him and for some advice, or have you all discussed it? Yeah, um, I haven't. Uh, I talked to him, but I haven't talked to him about you know, the situation of me going over there or anything like that. Mm-hmm. But yeah, he uh, congratulated me. He congratulated me and uh, uh, hit me on Twitter, just saying congratulations and blessings. And you know, not every you know not every route you know goes the way it's planned. But uh, it's a diff- everybody takes a different route to get to the same destination. But you know, uh, as long as I get there. Uh, um, that's all. That's all. That's all. Uh, Ferg really was saying to me, but yeah, that's my close friend of mine. Did uh, did Bill Bill Self have any parting advice for you? Yeah, um, he had told me basically that you know he didn't want to see me leave. The coach staff didn't want to see me leave, but uh, basically didn't know my situation. They knew that it was the best thing for me to do. Awesome. Well, Billy, I appreciate you taking the time out and jumping on the podcast, and and good luck overseas. Appreciate it. This is De'Aaron Fox. Fox, who has his first 30-point game at Kentucky, has two more for 32 on the night. Well, they said he was like John Wall. He is listening to the sideline with Evan Daniels. Now let's welcome friend and colleague Josh Gershon. Recruiting analyst over at Twenty Four Seven Sports to the sidelines with Evan Daniels podcast. Josh, uh, welcome back. You uh, you took a little shot at me this week. You said you've been carrying me on the podcast, so it's it's nice to have you back on the show. I just don't understand why I don't have my own at this point, but as long as I have to be uh, the person that carries you, I'm, I'm happy to do so. I've, I've done it for a long time, so why stop now? It's true. It's true. You know, as I've said on here in the past, I'm, I, uh, I really trust Josh's evaluations, and it's, uh, 
him and I have a lot of long talks about that kind of stuff and, uh, and about players. And um, for the most part, we our philosophies in, in terms of evaluating guys are pretty similar. Um, obviously, we both watched Billy Preston quite a bit in high school, just had him on the, the podcast, and uh, he had some interesting things to say about going overseas. And it really sounded like it wasn't something he necessarily wanted to do, but his hand was kind of forced, so that's what he's doing. Uh, you, you saw him maybe even in the eighth grade. I know you did as a freshman. Um, what were kind of your uh, immediate thoughts when you heard he was, he was going to go overseas? Yeah, I've been watching him really since uh, he was entering high school. Um, so technically during his his eighth grade year, and I, I don't know if it was necessarily a surprise, especially given everything that was going on at Kansas. It seems like it, that process was going kind of slow, and you got the sense that they were getting frustrated with it. And it, it makes sense that they would they would go overseas for a few months, make a little bit of money, uh, prepare for the draft, get get some reps in um but the sitting out for a year completely probably wouldn't have helped anything about being ready for for the nba or whatever comes next so i don't think it was a huge surprise once it kind of reached this point you know i I spent a little time talking to his mother nicole player uh, before i interviewed um billy And, and one of the things that she said to me was you know we were just tired of waiting she said we we could have handled a no no, you can't play. She said we would have disagreed with it, but at least we would have an answer. And I, I think the uncertainty is really what kind of drove them to this decision. And And she told me they had a deadline. Their deadline was last Friday or that contract with that team um, was going to go away. So that I think that the, the uncertainty is really what led to this more than anything. Yeah, I mean, and, and I don't blame them. It, uh, you'd see this all the time with the players that are dealing with uh, any kind of eligibility issue with the NCAA, which isn't an organization that moves quickly on these type of issues. And I don't know if the NCAA has ever had more on its plate than it does currently, given everything else going on in college basketball. So that alone is probably going to make it go a little bit slower. So I get it from the family's perspective. It's probably the, the wrong time to have an issue like this come up, but that doesn't help them any. It doesn't help Kansas any, but it, it was probably what was best for, for Billy in short term um, and maybe long term. We'll find out. What, what do you think the biggest value in Preston as a player? I mean, obviously the mainstream basketball fan didn't really get to see this guy play. I know he played in, uh, I think, three exhibition games at Kansas, but he's obviously a guy that, that is versatile and has good physical gifts that can really score. But, but what's your, what's your take? What's your opinion on, on Billy Preston as a player? I, I think he's entering the league at the right time, especially as it goes smaller. He really fits the profile of what a lot of teams are, are looking for in, in terms of a versatile uh, foreman. He's, he's got good size, wide shoulders, really, really strong kid. Uh, Good physical tools, um, plus athlete. Biggest thing he does well is he can he can really shoot it for for his size, for that position, for his athletic system. Uh, he's going to be able to have a role in the league in my mind. Is if nothing else, a guy that can can really stretch the floor um, with his physical tools and how much he builds on his game around that is going to depend is going to dictate how successful he ultimately is. But he has a, a really good uh, 
a build block right there with, with his physical makeup and shooting ability. Yeah, I think you hit it on the the versatility and and the way the league's going. And you know, this is a guy at at six ten that's got wide shoulders and long arms. And you mentioned the plus athleticism, but he's so versatile as an offensive guy. You can go post him on the block. He can step out and make shots from the mid post or even out to three. I I now I do think that. Billy did have a tendency, at least in high school, to fade to the perimeter too much. And I think he was always at his best when he started inside and then worked his way outside, playing more of a face-up four or a normal four-man's role instead of a three-man. I guess what areas do you see as areas for growth for him? You you would definitely like to see someone with his physical tools be able to be more comfortable in the paint. That's going to be a natural progression for him is being able to post up smaller defenders and, and just be a lot more productive and willing to compete inside where, where his size, length, athleticism um, will, will come in handy. And defensively, you know, he, he's going to have to be more committed, um, playing hard all the time. That, that's going to be important. That, that's not anything that you couldn't use to describe a good portion of, of players at, at the same stage. So I don't know if it's anything necessarily holding him back, but it is a, going to be a natural next step in his progress and something else that's going to determine how successful he is. For sure. I think the NBA and the NBA scouts and the, and the decision makers, have they have some tough – tough players in this upcoming draft and and Billy mentioned that you know the plan is to go to Bosnia and then come back and get prepared for the draft but between a guy like him and and Mitchell Robinson who's completely sitting out and then you've got the how good the top of the draft is and then a guy in Luka Doncic uh, who's playing professional ball and and not college so there just seems to be some uh, intriguing scenarios throughout uh, next year's draft and uh, I'd be curious to see how it all shakes out especially in Billy Preston's case Josh, let's shift gears uh, to the big news over the weekend. Zion Williamson committed to Duke, uh, a pretty much shock across all the recruiting landscape. Uh, I certainly didn't think that he was headed to Duke. Uh, My understanding is the Duke staff was pretty surprised that they got him. Duke now has three straight number one recruiting classes, nine top ten recruits in that span. What do you think, Josh, has made Duke the, the cool school? Well, as long as Duke keeps competing at a high level uh, and producing NBA players and having success with its one-and-done talent, and as long as one of the best coaches in the history of basketball is on its sideline, I mean, I don't think this is a program that's going away. And that People forget that this isn't a, a staff that embraced the one-and-done um, culture at first it, it took a little bit before Duke kind of went all in and, and realized in order to be its best as a program it was going to have to recruit one and done talent and as we've seen there, there really hasn't been too much of a transition going from long-term guys to one and done talent and they're winning with those guys and people like playing for Coach K and I think that's really important. For sure and I, I think they're coming off um, their best recruiting classes, kind of back to back to back. You know, I, I saw a narrative out there that this 2018 group isn't as good as their 2017 class. Well, I, I don't really agree with that. Um, I actually see, Josh, and I'm curious your take on this. I see a lot of similarities 
in their 2018 group uh, to that Jaleel Okafor group when they ended up winning a national championship. And what I kind of mean by that is that team that won a national championship, it was built around a couple guys. It was built around Jaleel Okafor, Justice Winslow, Tyus Jones, and, and Grayson Allen. But those big three, it seemed like Duke really recruited Tyus Jones and then got him to help out with the other guys. And it's almost how I see the way they put together this 2018 class. They got Trey Jones on board, and they kind of utilized him to help recruit these other guys. And I don't think those guys went there because of Trey, but he's the nation's number one point guard. He's the ultimate winner. He's a setup man. I actually think he's got a chance to be better than Tyus. And I think guys like are drawn to players like him and want to play with guys like him. Now, obviously, he's not the only reason they were able to put this class together. But I see a lot of similarities between that group and that Duke 2014 class. I agree with that. And I think that's also uh, I think there's also something to be said for the fact that none of these guys are in the other players way, meaning Cameron Reddish and R.J. Barrett. There are top two prospects in the country. We have them both listed as small forwards, but they're so versatile that neither of them, it, one of them could be at their absolute best and one of them could be at their worst. And one, one isn't preventing the other from getting on the court because they can play so many positions. Uh, Trey's, Trey's the point guard, obviously, but RJ Barrett, you can legitimately play him at the, at the one, two, three. I mean, you can play him as a small ball four easily. Uh, Cameron Reddish can play the two, three, or four. Uh, Zion Williamson is at, at worst. You can play him at, at the four and the three. You can probably even play him at the five. So I just listed three guys who can play a minimum of three positions. And when you're that versatile, you're probably not scared of the guy next to you. So each one of those players uh, next to Trey Jones is going to look at, at their absolute best because the guy right next to them is going to be just as versatile as they are. Yeah, that's that's a great point. I I actually and and we haven't changed this in in our recruiting database yet, but I actually think R.J. Barrett's become a, a two, and, and then in that case, you're playing him in primary at the two, and I think that's what they'll do. They'll play obviously Trey on the ball, Barrett at the two, Reddish at the three, and I, I think Zion will, will go back and forth between play, between playing on the perimeter, playing a face up four, maybe some small ball five. I think you hit it on the head. The versatility of this recruiting class is pretty impressive. And when you've got a guy like Trey Jones that can set the table for all three of these guys that are such unique and good scores, uh, I think it's going to be a, a dynamic perimeter attack for Duke. We discussed this in a recent story, Josh, but how, how do you think that this class compares with the best recruiting classes of all time? On paper, you know, it's, just looking, I, I think it's only right to compare uh, to, the, to the modern recruiting era, and that's why uh, not to make cop-outs for the Fab Five or any other great class uh, before the last decade. But since, since the recruiting rankings began, which is, you know, for the early uh, 2000s, I, I think that's kind of like the, the fair timetable to compare. And I don't know if there's a better class on paper. I mean, top three guys and then a top 10 player and, and Trey Jones. And again, I mean, it, it's not just how good the group looks on paper. It's how well that it, it fits together. That that's what's most impressive. And really you just, 
think about these four guys on the same team and, and how, how they complement each other and how fun that is to watch. And it's really an exciting group. I, I don't know that I can remember a class that I'm, I'm more excited about entering college. Yeah, four of the top eight is pretty good, and especially when you count their their versatility and what all each guy brings to the particular table. In, in terms of best classes of all time, I, I kind of went back over the last dozen years because that's really, you know, I've been doing this full-time a little over 10, but I was around uh, for two, three years before that. And I, I think that the groups that really stand out to me is Kentucky's 2011 class, that was the one with Anthony Davis, Michael Kidd, Gilchrist, Marcus Teague. So those three were all ranked in the top seven. Kyle Wilcher was also in that group. They won a national championship. And I think when you're when you're no class is created equal. There's there's differences in these class. Anthony Davis, I think. Uh, you could make a case that he impacted winning more than any freshman over the last, I don't know, eighteen to twenty years other than maybe Carmelo Anthony, probably those two guys. Like, they don't win a national championship if Anthony Davis isn't on that team. Uh, I think Kentucky's 2013 class where they pulled in six of the top 24, uh, Julius Randle was the headliner, the Harrison Twins, James Young. They didn't win a national championship like Kentucky's 11 class did, but they did make the title game. And then the third group that I think you have to throw into this conversation is Duke's 2004 class, 2014 class uh, that I mentioned earlier. They won a national championship for the top 22 players. Uh, so how does this 18 group compare to that? I mean, I think it's certainly in the conversation. And, and it, honestly, it's something that we're going to have to look back three, four, five years from now. And did they win the way those three classes won? I, I think you judge over. We we can judge a recruiting class on paper entering college, but the ultimate the ultimate judgment is going to be once these guys go through college and did they win a national championship like these others. But I, I think it's certainly on par with those uh, heading into college. Josh, let's shift gears one more time. I want to talk a little Jaron Jackson and Muhammad Bamba. I watched both of these guys play last night, and Jaron Jackson went for twenty one points. 11 rebounds and six blocks. And I think it was probably, um, if not the best game of his college career, his second best game of college career. I think he's a tremendous long-term NBA prospect, a guy that I think you and I have discussed on this podcast. that's probably going to go in the top six to eight in this draft. Uh, what do you like about this guy as a, as a prospect? I, I think when you have a, a player with, with his um, elite, physical tools is I mean his his size and length is, is just absolutely absurd he he has a ridiculous versatility I think he's able to play the four and the five at, at the next level um, given his size length and athleticism and this is also it's not like he's just an athlete he's also a player whose skill set has consistently evolved and uh, his production over the last two or three years has just been Nonstop. I mean, like, it, or, like his trajectory. We we know the direction that he's going in because he hasn't stopped pr- uh, producing and improving over, over the last few years. So, to me, that that's part of it. Like you you mentioned last night's game. This has pretty much been the theme uh, of Jaron Jackson's last three years. He, he, every time you, you wait a, a month or so and, and see him again, he's he's made another step forward. So there's nothing really preventing him from continuing to develop at a high level. I think that's what's one of the things that's really exciting about him. For sure. He, he has gotten better every step of the way, both from a skill standpoint, from a maturity standpoint on the court and even physically growing 
um, a couple inches over the last couple years. He, he made two plays, Josh, in that game last night. One where he uh, skied over some defenders, kind of tipped a rebound to himself and went the length of the floor in traffic and dunked on somebody with his left hand. And then another on the perimeter where he drove to the middle of the floor being guarded and, and just went up and, and slammed it on a defender. And his versatility as an offensive player continues to grow. He, he's a guy that can score from the perimeter. I think he's a good shooter despite that low release point. And I think that's going to be an area that he excels at down the road. But he can get it on the block, and he's obviously developing his his ball handling at, at six foot eleven. So I, I think he's a tremendous prospect, and uh, I think he's a, a shoe in to go in the top eight, if not higher, in that draft. And then there's Mohamed Bamba, Josh, twenty four points, twenty. 12 rebounds, three blocks. Get this, he was 9 of 11 from the field last night in Texas's win and hit 2 of 2 from the three-point line. Shooting three-pointers is not something we really saw from him in high school. No, I mean, he didn't even attempt them um, for the most part from what I remember. So if, if he can add that to his game, and um, he probably has a, a little bit to go before I comfortably say he has it in his game, but anyone, anyone can – develop that skill as we've seen over the last several years so if, if he can just continuously evolve and it's not even just about three-point shooting he, he's been an efficient scorer as you would expect someone with his again absurd physical gifts should be around the basket if he can keep evolving uh, as an offensive player as we would expect him to be it, his value just goes up that much more but at worst case you're always going to have one of the top uh, defensive players at that position um, in, in Bomba. Yeah, that's that's the thing, man. That that dude's physical gifts are through the roof. His length, his standing reach, his ability to get the shots. I think he's a really good rebounder. I, I still think he's learning how to play harder all the time. And there was this narrative out there that he was inept on offense, and I just have never bought that. He's got great hands and nice touch. And, you know, does he, does he need to continue to improve his footwork? Yes. But I think that there's a lot of room for growth on that end. And I think he's going to continue to work to get there. And I think he's showing improvement on that end. That kind of leads me into my next question because I would have this guy in my group. But I'm curious how, how you rank them. Uh, the NBA draft is five, five and a half months away. What's your current top three prospects for the NBA draft? This is taking out – uh, needs for position. Who are, who are your top three prospects? Well, given that I, I'm only going to uh, rank the, the kids I've seen in college and ignore um, international prospects for now and, until I evaluate them a little bit more heavily. So as of now, I, I would say my, my top three are one, DeAndre, and uh, two, Marvin Bagley, and three, Muhammad Baba. I, I think as the college basketball season has gone on, uh, and we had this debate the last time. I feel a little bit more comfortable uh, separating Aiton from Bagley. I, I still think Bagley's an unbelievable talent, and I wouldn't I wouldn't feel comfortable making that decision. But I feel maybe a little bit more comfortable than I did a month ago. If that makes sense. Yeah, no, it is, and I I, com- I completely agree. That would be my my three. Um, right now and obviously I've only seen Luka Doncic uh, on tape I have watched quite a bit of it I think the other guy that factors in here is probably Michael Porter and you know I I still think Jaron Jackson could slide up here and obviously these are the orders of top prospects so team needs will factor in here come draft time but I think you're right DeAndre Ayton is just so physically impressive and not that these other guys aren't but I mean he 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 looks like he looks the part 
and he's producing at that part and he's playing at a high level and um, this is a kid you know we were talking about Jaron Jackson and and Billy Preston being able to shoot the ball DeAndre Ayton can really shoot the ball and he he's going to continue to improve in that area but he's he's physically dominant he can rebound he dunks everything in the paint he can score it on the block and he's really improved uh his feel on the block um I, I've just been um I don't want to say blown away, but I think it's so encouraging because we had a lot of questions about DeAndre Ayton entering high school. And since he's been to Arizona, he's answered a lot of those questions. He's answered a lot of them. And and one of the biggest things that's been most impressive about him is the fact that he's continuously adding to this game um, to to this day. Like earlier in the year when we were trying to nitpick Ayton and figure out ways that he could be better. One of the things we discussed was, well, with, with his physical ability, he should be a much better shot blocker. Uh, this weekend, um, Arizona played at Cal and Stanford. He had eight shot block- He had eight blocks and made them all look as easy as you would expect. I mean, it took him until I believe the sixth game of the season before he had eight blocks total. So you, you can see him becoming more competitive on the defensive end. He's not all the way there yet. And while he's improving defensively, he's continuing to show more on offense, and he's really becoming good. one one of the top prospects I've probably seen in college basketball in my life. Yeah, no, I'm I'm right there with you. I think it's going to be a, we're still a ways away, but I I, I love talking about it, and um, I appreciate your perspective. And uh, thanks for taking the time out and, and jumping on the podcast, Josh. Of course, thank you. I'd like to once again thank Billy Preston and Josh Gershon for jumping on the sidelines with Evan Daniels podcast. Enjoyed those conversations. Before I let you guys go, I want to make sure that you are supporting the sidelines podcast. And the best way for you to do that is to shoot over to Apple Podcasts and or your favorite podcast app. Hit the subscribe button for me. It would also be awesome if you would leave a rating or a review. You can also shoot me a note over on Twitter. That's all I have for you today. Thanks for listening and talk to you next week.